0: "'and threw himself into the sea. "'The other disciples came in the boat, "'dragging the net full of fish, "'for they were not far from the land, "'but about a hundred yards off. "'When they got out on the land, "'they saw a charcoal fire in place "'with fish laid out on it and bread. "'And Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. "'So Simon Peter went aboard "'and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, "'a hundred and fifty-three of them. "'And although there were so many, "'the net was not torn.' Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show, but what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. A warm welcome to you if you are visiting St. Bart's, maybe for the first time. So great to have you. I want to introduce to you a friend of mine, Hunter. Would you come and join me? Hunter is going to be preaching (laughs) This morning, uh, I've known Hunter now nine years, feels, feels like eternity, because in a good way, because I can't remember not knowing him. Um, Hunter is many things. He is a successful lawyer. He is a successful banker. But the reason I want you to listen to what he has to say is that he's a good friend and he's a good father. And often we need to hear from good friends and good fathers. And so let's pray for Hunter, and um, you've got your waterproof makeup on? Yeah. Yeah, good. I say that to all my victims. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Hunter, and thank you for the word that you've put on his heart. Now would you put power onto his message that we might see you afresh, Jesus, through your word, in Christ's name, amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Dave. All right, so like Dave said, I'm a lawyer by training, I'm a banker by practice, Uh, And so I'm actually gonna lead off with three confessions. Find that it's good to sort of get things out of the soul before you start. So first, you've already figured out I'm not a preacher. So uh, if you are new here, I apologize. Uh, We have real licensed bonded preachers. Uh, They're normally here. Come back another week, you'll get the real experience. Uh, But I am subbing in. Uh, The the, the second thing you need to know, and, and the reason I actually haven't done this for a long time, and this is sort of a general confession, but it's particularly true about me is that I'm an affirmation junkie. Uh, I, I love affirmation, I live for affirmation. It's just the reality of who I am. And so speaking in public is kind of risky, right? Because you get one of two outcomes. <laughs> either it goes terrible, and nobody comes up to me afterwards and says everything, anything, and I feel like junk about my life. Or it goes great, and everybody shows up, and they're like, that was wonderful, and it totally feeds the beast, right? And so either way, As an affirmation junkie, this is kind of risky. And so my prayer has been that I would become less and Jesus would become more. That this wouldn't be about me, but this would be about the words he's given me. The third confession I got to make, and it's really specific to me, is the other reason I haven't spoken in a while, is I actually lost my front tooth in a biking accident. I won't pull it out right now, but since I lost my front tooth, I have this lisp that bothers me when I speak. And so I've been really insecure about doing this in part because I can't say certain words. Uh, I have a role in strategy at Capital One and I actually can't pronounce the word strategy. So I've started just trying to come up with other words that describe what I do. Uh, but if I chuckle, it's because I'm listening to my own lisp and laughing. So anyways, uh, so I wanna focus this morning on the story of the breakfast at the beach, right? And in particular, Peter, James, and John. And as I think about it, you can't just sort of pick up this story because we're right at the end for these guys. You've got to zoom out a little bit to understand where they're coming from. And so some of you may know, some of you might not, but the way these guys actually started off with Jesus was through a remarkably similar experience. If you, if you look back in Luke 5, Peter and James and John were actually fishing partners. And they're sitting on their boat one day and this rabbi Jesus is walking around teaching and the crowds get so big that Jesus just jumps in a boat and he pushes out because all the people are on the shore and Jesus wants to be able to speak to him and so he pushes out, he teaches and it's awesome and then he looks at the guy that he's in the boat with and he goes, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And this guy Simon goes, I don't know who you think you are but we've been fishing all night and it says we've been toiling we've been toiling all night and we've caught nothing. And Jesus goes, "Well, just try it." And so he throws his nets out on the other side of the boat, and it says they had such a big catch of fish that he had to call his buddies James and John, his partners, over to bring all the fish in. And then they get to the shore, and there's this amazing line it says they left everything and followed him. So think about this for a second. What do we know about these guys? One is they're fishermen, right? So contextually, that tells you they weren't like the brightest and the best. They weren't top of their class. They didn't go off to become rabbis. They just did whatever their dad did. So they were kind of normal guys. The second thing we know about fishermen, generally, is they're pretty good at fishing, right? And this guy, Jesus, totally transforms the way they approach it. And then the third thing is fishing was their economy. So as a banker... Imagine, I interact with this guy, he tells me how to do a deal, and I am standing on the precipice of the biggest deal I've ever had. And I just walk away and follow him, right? They bring in this huge catch of fish. That's not like fish, that's money. That's their livelihood. And it says they walked away and followed him. They left everything and followed him. So there's something you actually get about these guys' personality, and I love James and John in particular jesus later on calls them the sons of thunder i've got five kids the bottom two are boys uh, lockwood four rory two and if you've ever tried to sit behind me in church and pay attention you can relate to the fact that i really love the sons of thunder right we call rory and lockwood the bash brothers or thing one and thing two uh if you guys have you've probably had to kick them out of sunday school class at some point they are wild but i love their spirits right and i think that's actually something that Jesus is drawn to in Peter, James, and John. There's this interaction later in the scriptures where Jesus is walking with his buddies to Samaria and uh, they get rejected in a town. And James and John's first instinct, they've just sort of had this transformative experience with the Lord and they're like, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? They've rejected you. How about we just get fire out of heaven And Jesus is like, no, that's not really the way this whole power thing works, but I like your spirit, right? And so he brings them in. And so think about how this started. They were doing the thing they were great at, but they were toiling. And then Jesus shows up in person, tells them how to do it, and it happens abundantly, okay? And they leave it. And then they go on this three-year journey with the Lord where you just pick one chapter, Luke 9. I think it's Luke 9. We'll figure it out. If I'm wrong, tell me later. The first thing that happens in Luke 9 is Jesus actually gets them together and he sends them out. And he says, hey, I want you to go out two by two and I don't want you to take anything with you. Don't take food, don't take money, don't even take extra clothes. And I want you to go out And I want you to do three things. I want you to prophesy, I want you to heal, and I want you to deliver demons. Now I'm gonna ask you guys a question, you don't have to answer out loud. How many demons do you think James and John and Peter had cast out up until that point? Bible doesn't say I'm reasonably confident at zero, right? I'm reasonably confident they had zero experience prophesying. I'm reasonably confident they had never given a blind person sight. And then Jesus says this thing, and it's actually what I've been resting on all week, and I love it. Jesus says, in, in the Matthew version, Jesus says, hey, don't worry about what you're gonna say, because in the hour that you need it, the Spirit will give you the words. So that's a comfort to me this week. But generally, so they go out, and Jesus sends them out two by two with nothing, and they come back, and they've had this transformative experience. So they went from doing what they were great at and toiling. And then they follow Jesus, and they go to do these things they've never done. Same chapter, they feed 5,000. I guarantee you guys, they have no experience in crowd control and very little experience in catering. But they have this phenomenal experience where with the words and the presence of Jesus, they experience something abundant, something different than the toiling they had gone through. And then they experienced Jesus' death and resurrection. And you would think, like it would all be different, right? They've gone through this transformative experience. They literally saw demons cast out. They literally saw blind men see and lame people walk. And they've seen their Lord risen from the tomb and they wake up in the morning, and what does Peter say? You you guys wanna go fishing? Right, like they just slip right back into what they're doing, and I think that's okay. A bunch of the commentators debate, is that normatively good, is that normatively bad? I, I, I don't think it's either. I just think the thing it shows you is, it's what they knew, and it's what they were good at, and it's what they fell back to. But you see, they're doing it again, and they're doing it away from Jesus. And and what's the result? They're catching no fish. And so they've fallen back into their routine, and they're not catching fish. And Jesus shows up on the shore. Uh, And this is kind of cool. Jesus shows up on the shore, and I actually don't think they recognize him at first. It says they don't, so it's not that I don't think so. Uh, I can read. Uh, They don't recognize him at first, and Jesus asks this kind of hilarious question. He goes, children, how's it going? How many fish have you caught? In my mind, uh, because we often read who we are into the scriptures, in my mind it's like totally sarcastic, right? He sees them back doing exactly what they'd done three years before, and he's like, hey guys, How's that working out for you, right? Uh, it's funny, I read a commentator and he was like, Jesus asks this caring question. And I was like, I've never read it that way. In like 38 years, I never thought about Jesus' caring. It's mostly sarcastic. Uh, but Jesus asks this question, right? And it actually implies, uh, in the way it's written, it actually implies the negative. So he's actually really asking like, don't you have any fish? And I think what Jesus is doing in that moment is he's asking them a question that connects them with the reality of their need. And this is something Jesus does throughout scripture. You see when he first meets the disciples, the first question he asks is what do you want? When he meets a lame guy by the pool, he doesn't say, hey, here's what you ought to do. He actually leads with a question. Do you wanna be healed? In this case, these are some of his closest friends. They were there on the mountain when he was transfigured, right? These are, these are his inner circle. But he says, hey, children, guys, don't you have any fish? He asks them a question that connects them with the reality of their need. Why does Jesus do that? He obviously knows the answer, right? Like Jesus can both look in the boat and he's God, so he, he knows everything. I, I, I think he does it because he wants them to internalize that reality. And then he doesn't leave them in that need, right? Through Jesus' presence and his word, he actually meets their need. So what does he do? He says, hey guys, throw out your nets on the other side. Let's see if you catch some fish. And they throw it out again. Now I'm not like a lot, I'm not like a great fisher. I think I've, I've been uh, once in the last 10 years and, and Cameron, my son, caught about 10 times more fish than I did. Uh, but I don't think that Jesus like, taught them some new rig. I don't think they like flipped from drop shotting to Carolina rigs and all of a sudden like, caught a ton of fish, right? I actually don't think anything really different happened. But I think they listened to the word of God and they were connected to him, and all of a sudden, something radically different happened. And that's actually kind of the reality of our lives with Christ and with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I have often, you know, sort of hoped that when I had these experiences with the Lord, I'd all of a sudden be different, right? Uh, And it turns out, like, when I met Jesus, I didn't, like, become 6'1 and, like, fit, right? so nothing actually changed. But at the same time, everything changed, right? Maybe I actually became comfortable with the way I was built. I've had a long time prayer that if I just got close enough to God, he would actually make me good at singing. Uh, and I really pray it all the time. I'm like, like people would actually know you were God because like, if I could sing, it'd be like a miracle. Uh, And so I prayed all the time that I'd become a great singer and it it turns out my my singing voice has not changed uh, at all. But the way I sing, uh, since I've met the Lord, has entirely changed. Uh, Sitting (laughs) down, I didn't used to cry a lot (laughs) when I sang. uh, And sitting down here this morning, singing about Jesus, uh, I I was weeping. Uh, And that's not a thing I do (laughs) very often as a trained lawyer and banker and so that's the reality of when jesus shows up right it doesn't actually change anything but at the same time it changes everything and so peter finally gets it and there's this great great thing right the the scriptures say he actually puts his clothes back on Uh, again this sort of makes me think of of lockwood my son who, who thinks that every activity is a shirts and skins activity and he is always skins Right, the kid takes off his shirt just to like eat breakfast in the morning. But I love this picture of like, Jesus is just sitting there fishing with no clothes on and he puts his outer clothes back on and he actually puts his clothes on to jump in the lake and swim, which is not the order of operations I would have taken. Uh, But I think it shows something about the respect uh, for once he recognized who it was, how he wanted to engage him. So Peter swims in, James and John, drag 153 fish to shore um you guys know why it was 153 fish cool me neither Uh, i have no idea right Uh, but exactly 153 fish which i gather is a lot of fish they drag them to shore this is probably either the biggest or the second biggest catch they've had in a long time Uh, and i love this part of the scriptures they drag all these fish ashore and what does jesus have sitting on the beach fish right it's kind of awesome right he's sitting there cooking fish and uh i think there's a really beautiful picture in there that jesus doesn't need our fish he actually doesn't need us to do any of this but he wants to do it with us and he wants to participate with us so that we can experience him uh, and that we can experience the bounty of doing it with him and so then the last thing jesus does is he actually shares in the bounty with them right here it's a meal it's a restoration It's a reminder of those last three years where they were doing a bunch of stuff they had no business doing. And fish kept showing up, or people kept walking, or people kept seeing. And so Jesus asks them this great question. Through his presence and his word, he meets their need, and then he shares in the bounty with them. It's kind of the same story with Peter. I won't spend as long, but if you look at the story of Peter, Right, it's the same three stages. Jesus asks him the question. Peter, Simon, Peter, son of John. It's now not general anymore, it's personal. Hunter, son of Ron and Patsy, husband of Mary Beth. And he asks him a question. It's actually, and it's a different question. It's not like Jesus has the same question for each of us. But he asks him the question, do you love me? He actually meets the need in his presence and his word. Uh, I, I think Jesus had actually already met with Peter and forgiven him. There's this weird uh, verse in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul's talking about the order of operations after the resurrection and he actually says he met first with Peter, then the, the disciples. We don't actually have an account of that in the scriptures, but it's, weird to, it's always been weird to me that Jesus isn't like, I forgive you, right? I actually think that had already happened. But what, he, what Peter needed at this moment was to be restored to the mission he'd been given, right? This was the rock, the person who Jesus said he would build his church upon. And Peter actually needed not just forgiveness, but he needed to be restored to the mission. And so in his presence and in his word, Jesus meets that need for Peter. And then he shares in the bounty with Peter right? The bounty in this case was, was a lifetime of mission, of doing the work of the Lord uh, in the church. And so what does that leave for us, right? What does that leave for me? I think the first thing I want to ask you all is what question is Jesus asking you this morning? It's not the same. I don't have it for you, but I think Jesus wants to meet us personally. Simon, son of John, do you love me? For me, I spent a lot of time this week praying about it. Uh, I I think the two questions Jesus asks me are are, are one is, are you willing to be a truth teller? Uh, It's something I've had to think about. Uh, Do you love harmony and comfort more than me, more than growth? Uh, And so here's what I wanna do. Uh, This is risky, but I've got like four minutes till Dave, Dave gives me the ax. And so I just take 30 seconds, and in the silence, just ask the Lord, what question are you asking me? 30 seconds, maybe write it down, maybe not, but we're gonna go. So I'm gonna bow my head, you guys do it with me, 30 seconds. I think this is the reality of our Lord, is that I hope you heard something, maybe you didn't. Um, but in his presence, in his word, he will meet that need. In fact, in most cases, he already has. You know, the disciples, when they were toiling, had to actually wait for Jesus to show up. That's one of the challenges, right? It's actually like they had to wait for like a real dude to walk onto the shore and tell him, uh, and as I think about this, it, it's kind of hard for me, right? Because Jesus isn't gonna like walk in, capital one, with me and tell me how to act in a meeting where I'm, I'm ticked off at everybody in the room, right? The disciples actually had to wait for a real human, Jesus, to walk up and to speak actual words to them and tell them how to fish. Jesus says this amazing thing to the disciples. He says, hey guys, it's actually better for you if I leave because there's one coming after me who will give you power. And so the reality of where we are after the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension is that Jesus has actually given us his Holy Spirit. And we don't have to wait for like a physical human to show up because the Holy Spirit is in us and with us and has already met the need that he's asking you about today. So what do we do? I think we remember, we think about all the times where Jesus has met those needs for us, and then we ask, right, in the face of whatever you heard, if you heard anything, I think the request is, come Holy Spirit, and in my need, would you show up and would you make your power perfect in me? And then this is the amazing thing, is that in every one of these stories, he shares the bounty with his people. See, Jesus didn't catch fish just to be like, look, I'm better at fishing than you, right? He didn't restore Peter to prove to Peter, sort of, you know, you're forgiven, but good luck, run along. He actually brings him into the fold and shares the bounty of the mission, shares the bounty of the meal and the relationships. And so if I, if I have sort of anything that I've, I've reflected on, it's that, you know, Christ and the Spirit are calling us into this remarkable adventure um. But he actually wants to share it with us, right? He wants to give you all you need so that you can experience him fully. And he's not a withholding God, right? He wants to share with you. And so that's my thought. Let's go forth uh, as people that are aware of our own need, but all the more aware that Jesus has met that need already on the cross and in giving us his spirit. And that walking in that truth and that power allows us to share in his bounty with him. Amen.